baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Thanks for joining me on Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. This week, a gift card scam that you may not have heard about. We're also going to find out that the Click It or Ticket campaign is getting underway. A reminder to buckle up. Coming up, Swinging on the Vine fundraiser for the Scranton Public Library. We have the details. We're going to navigate allergy season, and to start us off, May is Stroke Awareness Month. Dr. Clinton Wright is Director of the Division of Clinical Research with the National Institute of Neurological Disorders. Dr. Wright, since May is National Stroke Awareness Month, probably one of the first questions I would ask you is, Are there people who may be more predisposed to having a stroke than others? Yeah, that's a great question. It's it's definitely true that there are risk factors for stroke, that they can actually lower their risk of stroke by controlling those risk factors. Some of the biggest risk factors are things like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, heart disease, diabetes or having a history of having a heart attack. But there's also a lot of lifestyle factors that can influence your risk, like, for example, not being physically active, using tobacco, or overusing alcohol, and things like that. So if people you know, are aware of those risk factors, they can do something to control them and then lower their risk. How would someone know that they're having a stroke? Well, it's really important to know the symptoms of stroke because... Stroke is a medical emergency, and it's really important to get immediate treatment for two reasons. One, it can save a person's life, but also it can really enhance uh, the chances of a successful recovery from a stroke. So it's really important to know the, the symptoms and signs. And some of them are sudden numbness or weakness of the face, arm, or leg, especially on one side of the body sudden confusion or trouble speaking or understanding speech, sudden trouble seeing in one or both eyes, sudden trouble walking or dizziness or loss of balance or coordination, or a sudden severe headache with no explained reason. Important to call 911. You've you've mentioned the fact that most of those are sudden. Are there any factors before that that you may start to feel odd or different that might tip you off that something is going to happen? Well, that depends. Stroke is a blockage of a blood vessel in the brain uh, in most cases or the rupture of a blood vessel in the brain, which causes bleeding into the brain. And so depending on where that happens in the brain, it can cause different types of symptoms. And depending on how severe it is, how big the blood vessel is, and how much of a problem it is, that depends on how severe the symptoms might be. So it could start with a very mild set of symptoms and then progress from there. So the minute 
those symptoms happen, it's important to recognize them. Sometimes, though, it seems like the symptoms that you mentioned can mimic other things, especially if, you know, you have pre-existing conditions. So if someone is feeling that they might, should they talk this over with their doctor? Well, it's important really to call 911 if you're having the symptoms of a stroke and get to the emergency room as fast as possible and then let the doctors sort out whether it's actually a stroke or not because there are medical treatments and things that can be done to treat strokes that really can only be done within the first few hours. So one of the problems that we see is people going back to bed or waiting for the symptoms to resolve, and then at that point it's too late to do anything about it. When we're also talking about the number of people in the United States that have a stroke, it's really a high number. And how many of those people would necessarily have a stroke that could be a life-ending event? Right. Well, that's a a large number, uh, true, too. You know, and in in your area, actually, uh, 7,000 people died in 2020. Uh, according to the CDC. So it's really it's really a large number. And about 800,000 people have a stroke in the United States um, every year. And so what that translates into is every three and a half minutes, someone dies of a stroke. And every 40 seconds, someone in the U.S. has a stroke. So it's, it's a really large number. And we need to get the word out. Well, that certainly is a very large number. And again, in our area, exactly. There are there are many people who have been affected by this. Does age play a factor? Yes, but it's not the only factor. And some people think stroke is a disease of old people, but actually it can affect people of all ages, including children. But it's higher risk in people with uncontrolled risk factors. And there are special populations, for example, African-Americans have a high prevalence of hypertension, for example, and that can affect younger people as well. Um, And so it's really important for people to know their blood pressure is high and know the numbers and demand from the healthcare system that those numbers be brought under control. It's really a situation where the person has to advocate for themselves and take control of their own health. And of course, you are with the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. And can you tell us a little bit about the NINDS? Yes. Well, the NINDS is a part of the National Institutes of Health. And we are very committed to getting the word out about stroke and have developed a moniker, Know Stroke, Know the Signs, and Act in Time, which is a campaign to help educate the public about the symptoms of stroke and especially about the importance of getting to the hospital quickly. So again, as we were talking about, super important for people to recognize the symptoms of stroke such as the numbness or weakness or confusion or the trouble with vision or the trouble walking uh, or severe headache. Um, And the idea of activating emergency medical services immediately to get the treatment right away. And is that where we get the acronym 
FAST? Yes, that's right. And FAST is, is a good way for people to try and remember what those symptoms are so that they can help themselves or a family member or, or a friend who develops these symptoms suddenly and, and maybe having a stroke. And is it also possible that you have these symptoms and are all of the incidents considered a stroke? Because there are some people that say that they've had a stroke, but then they find out that it's it's more of an, an event that occurred, but it wasn't really a stroke. Right. So I think you're talking about a transient ischemic attack, which is kind of a long phrase, but uh, sometimes known as TIA. And basically what that is, it's a very similar to a stroke. It's, it's a high risk of having a stroke afterward, but it's really the symptoms of a stroke that resolve quickly enough that there isn't permanent damage to the brain. So it's, it's sort of like blocking the blood vessel temporarily, let's say, and the symptoms come, but then the blockage goes away and the symptoms go away. But the cause of the blockage is due to one of these underlying risk factors, like a heart problem or high blood pressure, for example. And it's a real sign that something is not right and needs to be looked into further by the doctor. And when you mentioned getting to the emergency department in a certain amount of time, there are things that can be done, such as TPA? That's right. So TPA and synecdoplase are clot-busting drugs that can actually dissolve the clot if it's the type of stroke that causes it's caused by a blockage. But remember, I mentioned that it can also be caused by the rupture of a blood vessel. And so we wouldn't want to give a clot-busting drug to people with a, with a bleed. And so that's why it's really important in the emergency department to do a scan and know what type of stroke it is. The other thing is that some strokes block a very large vessel, which can be a very large stroke, and only about 50% of people that have that type of stroke survive. And of those that survive, the disability is very, very high. But now we have the ability to actually go in with a catheter and pull that clot out. But we need to get that done as quickly as possible before the damage to the brain has has been done. That's why we need to get in quickly. Dr. Wright, thank you so much. Your website, stroke.nih.gov. Exactly. Thank you so much. From Stroke Awareness to Allergies with Dawn Webster, Advanced Practice Clinician Director with MedExpress. Dawn, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but here in Northeast Pennsylvania, we were at the top of the you don't want to come here if you have allergy list that was out recently. And I think that has now become most of the area, probably just about everywhere because it's allergy season. What do we do? So allergy season is tough everywhere, but it is especially tough in Pennsylvania. Kind of to start, allergies are a hypersensitive response that your body produces, your immune system, to substances that come in contact with your body via inhalation, swallowing, even just touching them. And the problem with seasonal allergies that we are experiencing now is 
when things start to bloom, like right now, that is when all the pollen and and grass and hay and everything that people are most commonly allergic to kind of comes out. And it's all coming out at the same time right now. So people with allergies are really having a tough time. So really, the best thing to do is to try to get ahead of it before you start having the symptoms. Is it possible that if you never had any kind of an allergy to anything, that no matter what your age, it can start later on? Yes, absolutely. It can definitely start later on. So what do you do? How do you know that this is, because we go back to what you and I have talked about in the past, how do we know exactly what we have? In order to know exactly what you're allergic to, you have to get tested. And you have to go to either an allergist or a dermatologist, and they will put little tiny pinpricks on your skin with a little bit of the substance, and then they measure the reaction you have. And they look at grass, they look at hay, they look at all of the outside allergens, but also inside allergens like dust mites and dander and mold and and the things that are in the house. So when they look at the outside ones, they are looking at pretty much oak leaves, um, anything you can even think of, grass, anything that's outside. And the problem is there's no way to avoid it all. There truly isn't. So they say the best thing to do is to minimize exposure. So the first thing to do would be instead of opening your windows on the beautiful days, to keep them closed. When you run your air conditioner, most air conditioners have filters. Some even have special allergen filters. So when they bring that air in, they're filtering those things out. And none of them are 100%, but it's definitely better than just being outside, breathing that in. And then if you do have to go outside, the other thing that they recommend is when you come inside, if you can, get a shower. If you can't get a shower, use a nasal rinse just to try to get those allergens out of, you know, off of your body, out of your, um, your nose. Some of the things that people talk about when they have allergies, of course, the itchy, watery eyes, the, the, the sneezing. And again, that sounds like it could be something else. So is the presence of a fever one of the big things that would say, well, I have this and this, but I don't have a fever. So maybe it is an allergy. Right, right. So absolutely. The fever is definitely a sign that it could be viral or an infection over allergies. The other thing is how you feel in general. If you have any achiness, if you're tired, those are symptoms that kind of your body's fighting off more of a viral infection or a cold. Whereas if you just have itchy, watery eyes or a sore, scratchy throat, those are more signs of allergies. People who have allergies and even people who don't turn to many over-the-counter things that might ease some of the symptoms that they're having. What would you suggest in that instance? So the best thing would be to take an all-day antihistamine. So something like Claritin or Zyrtec or Allegra, and they are the medications that essentially work 24 hours. So you only have to remember to take them once a day, and they are very good at helping the symptoms of both indoors and outdoor allergens. And the problem is most people don't know what they're allergic to. So by taking those, you're essentially going to get the benefit of a more broad spectrum of relief. 
And again, when we're talking about getting relief, sometimes in children, that's very difficult because you just don't know sometimes what they have. So are there certain things that you would do if you have a child in that state? Sure. So um, with the child, I think it would be especially important to take them uh, to either, you know, their primary care doctor, to MedExpress, to their pediatrician, and let them get checked out. Because if they've never had these symptoms before, it may not be allergies, and it's better, you know, to have them looked over and have them checked. Now, with kids, not all ages can take all medications. And then you also have to worry about their dose, because it's not like an adult dose. You do have to dose them according to their weight. So it would be good if they do start having these symptoms to take them to get them checked. But they also have the same options. They can take the the long-acting antihistamines. There's also shorter-acting antihistamines like Benadryl, but those ones typically cause drowsiness, which is why they're not quite as as useful for during the day. And then you also have uh, medications that help according to the symptoms you're having. So if you have allergies, but really your only symptom is itchy eyes, they have eye drops that you can use that help with the itching. Or if your main symptom is, you know, nasal congestion, there are, there are nasal sprays you can use that are antihistamine nasal sprays. So there's many, many options to talk about with your doctor or your provider to figure out what's going to work best to help your symptoms. I asked you before if it was possible to develop allergies, even though you never had them before when you're much older. Is there also a possibility that your allergies may, if not go away, at least the symptoms could ease over time? Yes, absolutely. So it it can happen naturally. But when people get allergy shots, or they also now have allergy drops, they're sublingual, they go under your tongue. And essentially, they're, they're just a teeny tiny amount of that allergen that you expose yourself to, you know, via shot or under those drops under your tongue, that will essentially make your body not produce that hypersensitivity response. So by doing those, you can actually diminish the allergy response. And Is it possible that allergies can actually, because when we talk food allergies, that's a whole different issue. Is it possible that the allergies that we've been talking about could cause a more severe health concern? They can. So essentially, when someone has an allergy, when it gets bad enough, it can cause swelling and inflammation in the airways which would essentially make it harder to breathe. And if someone has underlying asthma or if they are little or or even a baby and those airways are smaller to start, it can absolutely, you know, turn into a medical emergency. Well, Dawn, before we let you go, we want to make sure that our listeners have all the information. Is there anything that you would like to add to get us through this allergy time? Yes. Prevention is best, but if you cannot prevent being exposed to these allergens, then I would start by taking an oral medication like the Zyrtec, Allegra, Claritin at the onset of symptoms. The earlier you start it, the better. So don't wait three or four days and let the symptoms get really bad. It's better if you start it as soon as you start experiencing the symptoms. I'll give you the last word. When it comes to allergy season, is there ever an end? No, unfortunately, there's not, because even if you're not allergic to the outside things, you could be allergic to the inside things. So unfortunately, for true, you know, all year round allergy sufferers, 
there really isn't an end. Thanks, Dawn. Coming up next on Special Edition, a fundraiser for the Scranton Public Library. Welcome back to Special Edition. Now your invitation to join the Swingin' on the Vine fundraiser for the Scranton Public Library. Jessica Sorrenti and Jenny Schoner have the details. Well, thanks for having us on, Paula. Um, We're really excited about this. This is the Scranton Public Library's 11th annual Swingin' on Vine fundraiser. For the library, it's a huge block party. Because of pandemic concerns, we were not able to host it the last two years, but we're very happy to bring it back. It is mainly an outdoor event, so we're very happy about that. Fingers crossed for nice weather. It is going to happen rain or shine. And it kind of says it in the name. It's a huge block party. We have food, seasonal cocktails, beer, wine, margaritas. We have live music going on. I want to talk a little bit about the food and drink, and then if Jenny wants to chime in about the band. Food first, it's cookout style. So you've got your hot dogs, you've got your different salads and chips and everything good like that. And of course, we have desserts that are donated by several local businesses, including Gertrude Hawk. They do a wonderful job with us every year. They support us. And the drinks, we do beer, wine, and margaritas. Uh, And of course, we have soft serve and water. It's a lot of fun. It's $20 in advance or $25 gets you in the door. We close off the 500 block of Vine Street right in front of the Albright Memorial Library. So we close that that block off completely. We get the tents up. We get the showmobile going in Scranton. And it's a roaring good time. Jessica, you have set the stage. And speaking of the stage, Jenny is here. And she is going to tell us who's going to be on that stage, Jenny. Yes, it's going to be the band Picture Perfect, and I am personal friends with this band. They are 11-piece band, and their styles vary from Casey and Sunshine Band. They play Jackson 5, but they also play Top 40 Hits, Bruno Mars, Beyonce, Usher, Adele. Music for everyone. Six o'clock they start, so the, the event starts at 5. So you come in, you get your food, you relax, you chill, and then 6 o'clock, the music gets going, the party gets going, and we actually reserve part of the street off for the dance floor, if you will, so yeah. we can get it. And everyone does dance, so it's fun. It's a good time. Well, that sounds like the perfect time in Scranton. Now, tell us exactly where the library is. I know you said the 500 block of Vine Street, so is that where the library is? Yes. So in Scranton, um, right, right in downtown Scranton, we are on the corner of North Washington Avenue and the 500 block of Vine Street. So we close off that, that Vine Street block and right across from us is Lackawanna College. We will actually have parking with Lackawanna College for attendees so you can actually park in their lot and come right across over to us. So we're right there and the library is right there. So most of the event is held outside on the street. But then we do have desserts and raffles indoors in the library because we ideally want to want people to come into the library and see what we have. And I can tell you about the raffles. We have a $100 Wegmans card, lottery baskets, passes for Lehigh Valley Zoo, Rail Rider passes, Dorney Park tickets, passes for Roba's Family Farm, uh, Longwood Gardens, and Sandy's. There's lots for everyone. Wow, that does sound like it's going to be a fun-filled event. And what is this Makerspace program? Ah, yes, the Makerspace, uh, my coworker is actually, she's the one that's the brains uh, behind it. The Makerspace is, is basically a space where you can come in and create. 
we, with a grant from the Scranton Area Community Foundation, started this program. And it started with our Maker Mondays that we were doing monthly. And then it just kept going because they were getting really popular. So we decided, hey, let's actually buy a couple cricket machines that do different things. Let's buy an embroidery machine. Let's buy a laser cutter so that people can actually see how this equipment works. They have the opportunity to use it to create their own crafts and and just letting them explore because some of this equipment can get very expensive and sometimes it can get outdated pretty quickly. So for those people who are maybe on the fence of, hey, you know, I've always heard about a cricket machine, but I don't know how it works or I've always wanted to try sewing and I just don't have the time and I don't have the the equipment to do it. The makerspace is for that purpose. It's so you can come in and you can actually see how this equipment works and how you can do this. And then going from there, you can either just continue to use the service at the library or you may decide to invest in your own equipment. But it's it's a chance for everyone to see how it works. So my coworker, her name is Tina. She's been the brains behind all of this. And uh, she's just been doing a wonderful job getting the kickstart and off the ground. Uh, she's got a wonderful group of people who come in for her Maker Mondays every month. And she's been telling them, and then it just keeps expanding from there. So we're excited because part of Swinging on Vine is, is to help support the programs and services at the library. So while the Makerspace was able to be kicked off by a wonderful grant, we need to keep it going. We need to make sure we can keep it going. So this fundraiser will help do that. And there's also an embroidery machine and podcast equipment. You folks are really into everything. Hey, that's the library of the 21st century. I think that's probably one of the best ways to sum it up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because it's it's not the library that we, well, it is the library building that we all remember mm-hmm. growing up. But what's inside has certainly really changed. And you, of course, we want to give a mention to the fact that you have the children's library right next door, and there is a building mm-hmm. block party that's coming for them too, or is that the same night? They do a building block party, I believe. Jenny, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's every Thursday. It's Thursday night at 6 o'clock, yes. But the, uh, yeah. that day at 1030, we are going to have a program. It's going to be TUG. Actually, if you want more information about that program, if you go onto our website, it's www.albright.org. This program will be for children, and you can also give us a call at 570-348-3000, and we can give you more information about that. That's perfect, because again, people are always saying what goes on at the library, and now you have so much that you yes. need to have that mm-hmm. website. All right, I'm going to go back over to Jessica very quickly so that you can give us the details on the food and all that stuff. And then we'll go back over to Jenny and she can tell us about the band. And it's all about Swinging on Vine, Friday, May 27th from 5 to 8 p.m. That's right. So we have uh, a lot of food coming in. We've got a cookout style this year. So it's a little bit different from previous years. What we're doing is we're having hot dogs. Um, We have different side salads. So there are going to be vegan options there. Um, We're going to have chips and all that kind of good stuff. And we have a wonderful selection of desserts. We have some wonderful support. Uh, I can't say enough how great they are. Richard Fox 
always donates every year our desserts and they're doing so again this year. And I, I want to thank them on the radio because I know that they're a local business and they've been hit hard in different ways with the pandemic. So I and the library really appreciate their support this year, especially. We usually get Manuka Bakery as well. They donate cakes. And then honestly, it's a lot of the Scranton Public Library staff and friends and volunteers that donate desserts as well. So it's all homemade. So it's, it's a wonderful time. So that's the food. And then the drinks, you've got your beer, wine, and margaritas seasonal cocktail. If you are not into alcoholic beverages, we do have water and soft drinks for you as well. Now, because there is alcohol involved, you need to be 21 to attend the event. We've gotten all this food and drink, and now, Jenny, we need to work it off. How are we going to do that? We're going to do lots of dancing with the band that we have selected. Uh, Personal friends of mine, Picture Perfect. They are 11-piece New York-style high-energy party band from uh, the scranton Wilkesbury area. They play all types of music, top 40 hits, also funk, disco, R&B, Latin, something for everyone. They are diverse bands and they are really excited to uh, perform for this event. And what's the cost? The cost for the event is $20 before the event and then $25 at the door. You can also purchase our tickets on our website, www.albright.org, or you can also stop at one of our locations. We have them at Albright, Nancy K. Holmes Branch Library, uh, Library Express, and we also are selling selling them at the Children's Library. Again, that's the Swingin' on the Vine fundraiser, May 27th for the Scranton Public Library. Next on Special Edition, Click It or Ticket. Details on the Click It or Ticket campaign from Master Trooper Deanna Pekansky with Pennsylvania State Police Troop P. Wilkesbury and Rebecca Ryback, coordinator of the Northeast Highway Safety Program. Tell us all about this Click It or Ticket. May is National Click It or Ticket Month. Pennsylvania will be having a Click It or Ticket seatbelt campaign starting May 16th. And uh, what we just want to remind everybody that, you know, seatbelts do save lives. And we want to remind everybody, especially with uh, the holiday coming up and the summer, you know, vacation plans coming up, is to uh, wear your seatbelt anywhere in the vehicle, front seat, back seat. We also want to remind everybody to make sure that their children are in the proper car seat, booster seat, and beat seatbelt system as well. And you have something coming up as far as kids are concerned. Right. So in May, we typically hold a few car seat checks. We are having a car seat check on Friday, May 20th at the Hollenbach Fire Station in Wilkes-Barre. And it's going to be from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. And, you know, parents to come with or without their children to have their car seat checked, installed, uh, see if it's incorrectly because believe it or not, most car seats are installed incorrectly. And they're usually just minor problems. Just have to read the book, maybe watch some videos on YouTube. But we do usually find one or two misuses. For example, you know, the car seat might be installed the wrong way. It should be rear facing and maybe it's installed forward facing. Also, something very simple like, you know, the straps are twisted. Um, Maybe the buckle is not in the right position. But these are very important things to keep your children safe. So we do have that car seat check coming up on May 20th. 
When we're talking about those car seat checks, again, you mentioned the fact that we're going to be doing more traveling with the summer coming up. Are there things that parents need to know when it comes to what car seat for what child? Yes, the Pennsylvania law says that children should be rear-facing until two years old. However, we recommend that they stay rear-facing for as long as the car seat manufacturer allows it. So, for example, children birth to two years old should be rear-facing. Now, if your car seat says that they could be rear-facing till your child is 30, 40 pounds, I mean, some children could really stay rear-facing till they're four or five years old. We would all actually be safer if we were traveling rear-facing, believe it or not, because it's a lot of protection with your head and neck. So um, we do uh, suggest you follow the manufacturer's instructions. When they outgrow a rear-facing position, then they would move to forward-facing. So you would turn your car seat forward-facing if you have a car seat that allows that. If not, you may need have to purchase a new one. Then as they get into more school age, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, we suggest a booster seat. And when we do programs, we tell the children, you know, booster seat is not a baby seat. Seatbelts are made for grown-ups. They're not made for children. So when you're in a booster seat, the seatbelt helps protect you by having it fit properly on your body, which is over your shoulder, chest, and hips. You don't want it across your neck. So and then they would stay in the booster seat until they could fit in a regular seatbelt in the vehicle seat. So there's a lot of websites that, you know, you could go on to check what car seats, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, NHTSA has a good website. PAKidsTravelSafe.org is another great website. And you could learn about all the Pennsylvania laws with car seats and also what kind of car seat will be right for your child. All right, let's turn things over to Trooper Pekansky now, because from what I understand, Rebecca's telling us about one car seat check, but Trooper, welcome. Pennsylvania State Police have their own car seat check coming up? Yes, Troop P. Wilkes-Barre has a car seat check coming up on Thursday, May 26th from 1 p.m. until 5 p.m. at the Ken Pollock Car Care Center, which is at the Wyoming Valley Mall in Wilkes-Barre, the old Sears center. It's a free event. Parents do not have to make an appointment to come in. They can just drive up between the hours of one and five, and there will be several different people that are certified to check the car seats. Troopers will be there that are certified. Rebecca will be there. Um, She's also one of the instructors. She's certified to instruct on the car seat safety, and she'll be checking car seats as well. As law enforcement, what are you looking for? And how would you even know whether a child is in the correct car seat just by driving past a vehicle? Just driving past a vehicle, you probably wouldn't be able to tell. You'd have to pull it over, the vehicle over, and get in the vehicle and look at it. But if you have a small child that's roaming around, jumping around in the car, and you could tell they're kind of young, you would know that they should probably be in a car seat um, that could be forward-facing. Rear-facing is for two and under by law, but again, as Rebecca said, it's good to keep them as long as you can rear-facing, but we don't want kids rolling around in the cars, jumping around. It's a distraction for the person that is driving the vehicle. Should they have to put their brakes on very suddenly or they're in a crash, they're going to go flying through the vehicle and they could be injured, such as going through the windshield or the back window or something like that. So that would be something that we would check. And most of the car seats have ages or heights and weights on them that you could check. And we would ask the parents, you know, how old is this child? Well, they should be 
rear facing, we would let them know that, or they could be forward facing now, or they could be in a booster seat. They don't have to be in a child seat, but they would have to be in a booster seat. And are these, if they're not correct, or if you do happen to see a child who may not be strapped in, and it's very obvious, is that something that you could get a fine for? Yes. If you're not in the appropriate car seat or you don't have them in one at all, you could get a, possibly get a $75 fine for court costs for it. Now we're going to go back to what we started off with talking about click it or ticket because that kind of transfers from the car seats to the adults in the vehicle. We've heard about this so much, but why is it still so important to buckle up? It's important to buckle up because at any time, it saves your lives and it can also prevent injuries. You don't want to be flying out of the vehicle. Like we said, you might have to suddenly put your brakes on and the seatbelt's going to keep you in your seat and where you need to be. It's going to keep children from flying around you know, in the vehicle. So it is a safety measure and it does save lives and it's the law. And speaking of the law, again, if you're not doing it, is that something that is a pull over violation? Not wearing a seatbelt is a secondary violation. They're trying to get it to be a primary. However, it's a secondary violation. If you have something wrong with your vehicle, your turn signals aren't working, your brake lights, you're speeding, go through a red light, you could be pulled over for that. And then if you do not have your seatbelt on, that would be a secondary. So you could get two tickets or three tickets on top of the initial reason that you were pulled over. And what are we talking as far as cash there is concerned? Well, it would depend on what the violation is, the primary violation that you're pulled over for, and then the secondary violation of of the seatbelt. When you're young and by law, they have to be in a car seat and you're not, you can get a fine for that. And as you get older, you don't have to have a car seat or a booster seat. It would be a seatbelt. And if you're not wearing the seatbelt in the vehicle while it's moving, you could get a fine up to $60, up to $75 plus your court costs. And it's not only on big, far-reaching trips that we have to be concerned about this, right? Correct. One, three in four crashes occur 25 miles or less from a person's home. So a lot of times people think, oh, I don't have to put my seatbelt on. I'm just running down to the corner store. I'm going down to get the mail. But you can be right near your home and get into a crash. If you are pulled over and that becomes a part of the violation, are we looking at a fine? It is a primary violation if you are 18 years or younger. So if you are 18 years or younger, you must have a seatbelt on anywhere in your car. And that obviously includes children. So that's a primary violation. So if you're 18 years or older, that becomes a secondary violation. So that's where Trooper Pekansky was talking about, say, if you were speeding and you got pulled over for speeding and then the officer saw you weren't wearing your seatbelt, then you get a ticket for not for speeding and then a ticket for not wearing your seatbelt, which that's how the click it or ticket came in. So 18 years or younger, it's a primary violation. Coming out of your high school and you're driving, you pull up on the main road, you have your friends in the car, none of you are buckled up, officer pulls you over and you're under 18, it's a primary violation. It's on the person who is the driver of the vehicle to make sure that everybody's buckled in. Absolutely. And if you're the driver of the vehicle and you get pulled over and there are people not buckled up, then as the driver, you will get fined for every person that's not buckled up in your car. So as the driver and owner of the car, you are responsible and that can become a lot of money as we were talking about. So 
Uh, you really want to make sure. And, you know, in this day and age, talk about distracted driving and how cars are a lot smarter. If there's no reason because you have that beeping, you have reminders. I mean, cars are are out there reminding you to please buckle up is the safest way to travel. That gets really annoying after a while if you're not buckled up. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it really is important, especially for kids, to be in their car seats and booster seats. And I know it's very hard. I have problems. I have, you know, an 11-year-old not in a, in a booster seat. He's in the regular seat. He has a four-year-old brother who wants to be like the oldest. So it could be um, tricky, but you just want to be a good role model for your children. So, again... You want to get, and Rebecca wants to get the message out there, what's important with Click It or Ticket? During Click It or Ticket, we want people to be even more aware of wearing their seatbelts properly and having their children in their car seats, booster seats, or their seatbelts properly so that they're safe. We want everybody to be safe out on the road. And that means every day we want that for people to be safe with their seatbelts and car seats, but we bring it into attention as we're getting into the summer months and more people are going to be on the road, kids are getting out of school, families are starting to travel for the holidays and summer vacations. Click it or ticket begins May 16th. Now details of a gift card scam. Kathy Stokes is with AARP. Kathy, we're going to talk about scammers. And now this gift card stuff is just crazy. So what do we do? Let me lay out why it's so crazy. And it's it's not just on one front, it's on two. We did this survey to find out what people's experience was in one of two scenarios. Let's say you give somebody a gift card or you receive a gift card and you find that there's no value on it. Um, we found out that one in four U.S. adults have experienced that. And then on the other side, about a third of us have experienced someone trying to get us to load money onto a gift card and share the numbers off the back to pay for some alleged obligation. And you put it all together, 73 million adults have experienced this. Why gift cards? Well, uh, in terms of the, the scam where they try to get you to pay with a gift card, it's just because they're so easy to get. I mean, you can walk into any store and pick up any type of gift card. And so they're readily available and um, they figured out an easy way for them, the scammers, to get people to believe that this is a legitimate form of payment. People may be hearing this and have been hearing this and they may get to the point where they're saying, oh, maybe I'm just not going to deal with gift cards at all. Is that too far or can we still deal with gift cards safely? Well, I mean, come on. We love the gift card. I don't think any of us is going to give up the gift card, but I think there are some safe ways to navigate them. First of all, if anybody ever tells you you owe some obligation and that the easiest, quickest way to deal with it is to buy a gift card and share the numbers off the back, that is a scam 100% of the time. So there's that. And then on purchasing gift cards, I honestly think the safest way to purchase a gift card that you want to give to somebody as a gift is to go to that uh, retailer or that whatever organization that you want to buy it from online on their website. That way you can have it sent to your friend or you can do it electronically and you know that the money is going to be on that card. If you have to buy it inside of a store, that's okay. But when you go over to that big rack, maybe just don't pick the first one up. 
because that may have been manipulated. And so that as soon as you take it to the register, the money's as good as gone. It's the way these guys do it. So I would take the ones from the back of the hanger, take a real close look, make sure it doesn't look like it's been manipulated. And then, you know, keep your receipt in the event you find that there is a problem, you might be able to get the money back if you have the, the receipt and information on uh, where you bought it. I've never heard of that one. In a store, buying a, a gift card, a problem? Because they're ubiquitous, uh, criminals want to take a piece of the action. And there are a few different ways that I've heard they do it. Sometimes they'll send uh, sort of the lower level criminals in and they'll take the cards off of the racks. They'll uh, expose the, the activation code on the back and then um, take a picture, cover it back up because you can actually buy that little piece of film that goes right back over it put it back on and then they create a, a computer software program that monitors for the activation. So as soon as you purchase that card, they're able to drain those funds. And there are also electronic ways that they can get into the systems of the retailer or the card issuer. We've uh, experienced that uh, among U.S. adults. One in four of us have experienced having a gift card with no money on it. <laughs> Boy, they're really going through a lot of work to get that $20 sometimes, but I get it. Sometimes it can be much more. It can be much more. I think the average that we've heard of on loss on those is about two hundred dollars. Wow, that's yeah, Kathy. You really, you really woke me up that way. I've never actually heard of that one before. So the folks at AARP, you get out there, you get the information, you ask people all the questions. This is what you're getting back as far as the folks uh, that you've asked uh, what's going on with these gift cards. So. AARP, what are you guys doing? Well, we're doing things like this to bring awareness to the problem, but we're also calling on the industry, whether it's the retailers or the payment processors or the card issuers, they need to do more to combat this kind of fraud. And this could include more in-store interventions. It can include training employees to be able to uh, identify when something's amiss, point of sale system enhancements restoring consumer losses because we have learned that not many people are able to get their money back. And there's the use of data analytics, artificial intelligence that can help these organizations spot fraudulent transactions and stop them. And we want them to uh, go full bore into this space. You're also involved with lawmakers. So have you been able to talk with them and get them more up to speed on all of this? Well, as we are educating the public, we are also educating lawmakers and their staffs and hoping that uh, we can have an opportunity to talk about what specifically they can do to protect consumers in this way. All right. So, again, we're talking about this whole gift card scam and there's so many facets to it, obviously, that I have never heard of. But where can we go to get more information? We have a great website at aarp.org slash Fraud Watch Network, and we have tip sheets and information on gift cards and a whole other range of scams. Because if you know about one, you're far less likely to engage with it. So I'd highly recommend going over and checking that out. Before I let you go today, if you can just recap for our listeners all of these different, especially that one in the stores, can well, just go over and tell our listeners all about all these different things. If you're going to purchase a gift card, 
there is a chance that that card has been manipulated if it's on a rack and it's the first one on the on the rack. So what you want to do is pull from the back to try to and make sure that it doesn't look like it's been manipulated by somebody because if it is manipulated, then as soon as you purchase it, those dollars come right off of that card. So if you're going to buy in a store, go from the back of the rack and look very carefully. Or you could go right to the retailer or the restaurant or whomever it is you want to buy it off. Go to their website and order it through their website. You can get a card sent to somebody or you can have an electronic version. That way, you know, nobody's manipulating it. Give everybody that warning when they get that call that says you need to send me gift cards. In 100% of the cases, Paula, that is a scam. Hang up the phone. There you go. And don't ever give out your personal information. Exactly right. Anything that we've missed, Kathy, that you'd like to make sure we leave with our listeners? Well, you know, there is research. It says if you know about a specific scam, you're 80% less likely to engage with it. And if you do engage, you're 40% less likely to lose money or sensitive information. Education matters. If you've learned something listening to this today, share it. Pass it forward. Tell your parents. Tell your friends. And let's all try to inoculate ourselves from these criminal activities. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.